Hi folks, welcome to this Epochs of the Lotus Eaters, where I'm joined by Bo, and this is part two of our Richard the Lionheart series, where we will be talking about Richard the Lionheart on Crusade in the Holy Land, as in the good bit. Uh, my favourite bit. It's exciting. But I mean, his whole life's exciting. But um, right, where do we leave off? He conquered Cyprus, uh, put yeah. the false emperor in chains, uh, and then sailed off uh, towards Acre. Yeah, so we left off just where he sort of landed at Acre. Mm. And that that scene of devastation it would have been yes. sort of a horrific scene where, where even the Crusader camp was being besieged mm. and they'd been there for 18 months nearly two years something like that um, the Crusaders the Franks um, it, quick quick FYI that's literally what the Muslims called everyone from Europe yeah yeah you didn't necessarily have to be Frankish in the same way we just called them all Saracens <laughs> yeah or infidels yeah something like that um, so what I thought I'd do is just a super quick recap, mm -hmm. um, just to mention again, the Horns of Hattin, where the, uh, the Kingdom of Jerusalem, their army under Guy de Lusignan had been uh, sort of tempted out of, of Jerusalem itself. And annihilated. Into the, into the desert, onto these twin peaks at Hattin, and more or less annihilated, yeah. Um, and I'll go into that in a bit more detail later because I want to talk all about Saladin, the life of Saladin. Mm -hmm. This episode, I want to make maybe half of it, maybe, Blimey. all about the Muslim side of the story okay. and the career and life of Saladin. Uh, because I said in the first one, didn't I, that Richard thought of his life as he's, he's the main character yeah. in, in the world. He very <laughs> and, obviously thought that. Yeah. And, uh, and everyone else is, uh, you know, bit parts in that show. But they have to be sort of great as well in order to reflect greatness back on him. Uh, I think that's often the way, isn't it, in history, to have a, a truly, truly great story. Uh, you, need, you need sort of a great protagonist, you know. The, the, a great antagonist. It was, yeah, yeah, right, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, someone like Wellington or uh, Nelson, is sort of cast in a yet greater light due yeah. to how amazing Napoleon was. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, totally true. And so this sort of happens with Saladin and Richard, that they're both sort of fantastic personages, and their stories are both so fantastic that they sort of bring each other up in the sort of historical stakes of, of, of amazing stories, of amazing biographies. What I always found interesting about Saladin is it's more his character than his statesmanship or generalship that I'm impressed with. Actually, Sal Saladin's okay. He's pretty good. Well, as a general, you mean? As a general, yeah. as a statesman, right? Yeah. But he's not the best, actually. And, you know, he's got a, a few notable defeats under his belt. Oh, yeah. You know, there are he a few... gets defeated all the time. Yeah, I know. And there are a bunch of, like, revolts. But he's resilient, you know, and he can he perseveres through it and eventually comes out the victor on the other side. Spoiler alert, by the way, for events of 700 years ago. <laughs> um, but it's the quality of his character that is really memorable about Saladin mm. and why he's still respected by Christians to this day. So one of the takeaways is that he's sort of very, very, very clement and merciful and wise and stuff. Sometimes he is, sometimes he's really not that. Sure, so sometimes Richard isn't that either. That, yeah, <laughs> that's why I want to do it in a bit of detail 
is because, you know, the surface level, yeah. the first sort of layer of reading yeah. is the, or the things that, that Muslim chroniclers or modern day Muslims once say is that it's like the most um, sort of beneficent and mm. the most sort Noble of... Noble and... Yeah. Forgiving and yeah. Sometimes he is. Often he's not, though. Well, so it's... But, I, th I think the, the thing about this, I don't really want to detract from Saladin here because he didn't have to be at all, you know? Like, if, if he'd just been like, right, just kill every Christian we get our hands on, every Muslim would be like, okay, great. Well, that's fine, but then Chronicles just shouldn't pretend that he's perfect afterwards. Sure, sure, but, but the point is, he, in the times where he is uh, clement, he didn't have to be, you know? Yeah, and in fact, yeah. if anything, this could have been a detraction from, on him to the Muslim forces. Like, well, hang on a second. They murder us all the time. Why can't we just kill a bunch of them? And, you know, Masala's like, no, we're not going to do that. That does show an, a, a nobility of character that I think is worthy of praise. Except the point is sometimes he does just yeah, butcher civilians yeah. and execute loads of people yeah. out of hand. That, that and is that true. Sort of thing. So it's not, he does that. But for example, I don't know, well, I always quite often go to Alexander or Augustus, don't I? But Augustus has got a reputation for being extremely kind and clever, at least in sort of the latter half of his, his career when he didn't have to be a, a triumvir. Well, mostly, but not always. Yeah. Sometimes he would order someone buried in there, to the, in the ground up to the neck and their head eaten by ants or something really weird. Yeah. You know, so he was still... Okay, so Saladin wasn't like Genghis Khan. Okay. Yeah. That's, okay. That's a good start. Right, yeah, it's a good start, but, you know, don't make out like he's a saint. I'm not saying he's a saint, but... Um, um, he, no. I, I think he does a lot of things. He he's a warlord. He's a warlord still. Yeah, of course he's a warlord. But every, everyone, um, everyone in this time's a bloody warlord. Mm. You know, any anyone of any note really is a warlord. So like that's hardly mm. a, a black mark against his character. And there, there are loads of things that he doesn't have to do, but does uh, because he thinks they're the right thing to do. And actually, you know, I think that's mildly worthy of praise. No, yeah, I'll give no, absolutely. I'll give him credit when it's due. Hmm. But I'll point out when it's, he's sure. not this saintly type, perfect, magic granddad type figure. <laughs> sure, that's uh, definitely true. Yeah. Um, I mean, for example, he died almost penniless. Yeah. He was sort of a sultan of Egypt and Syria, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful person in the Near East, Middle East. And he died without any real personal fortune. You know, there you go, that's right there, that says something about the yeah, person. That's good, it? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I that's, think that's a, yeah, that to was his a, credit. That know. was a point sort of in his favour, yeah. 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 That he wasn't... I wasn't sure if you were condemning him. No, 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 no. That's, uh, <laughs> that's great. He wasn't um, avaricious yeah. for himself or anything. Um, but okay, so uh, we left off at Acre. Hmm. So I mentioned when uh, Richard's ships first sort of sail up to Acre, which is right on the coast, uh, there's a, a massive supply ship, a Muslim one, uh -huh. um, meant to be resupplying Acre, because Acre's still being held by the Muslim yeah. forces. And um, he sees it and uh, boards it straight away and sort of pilfers it and, and then yeah. sets fire to it and sinks it. And uh, historians have looked back on, I think chronicle, uh, Muslim chroniclers at the time said, that moment sort of, that was a really big moment strategically from the point of view of the Muslim well, yeah. side, that from that point on, they really needed that supply ship badly. But yeah, after 18 months of being besieged uh, and your only supply comes from sea and that's intercepted, yes. Yeah. The, the Muslim garrison of Acre is definitely going to feel that. Yeah, uh, they were doomed, yeah. um, sort of doomed by that point. Um, so it's quite 
quickly within a, a, a few weeks of Richard turning up that he gets everything sort of sorted out impact. really yeah. Yeah, yeah immediate impact uh because you know uh, we've said it before and we'll say it many more times in this and the next episode mm. Uh, if there's one thing Richard is good at, it's sieging a, yeah. a castle. Because um, that, that's basically what medieval warfare was in Europe at this point. Yeah. Very few large field battles, lots of small sieges of not very important places, frankly. Yeah. Um, so he saw, and also the Crusaders had suffered from where there's more than one person trying to be in control. Well, yeah. And like a lot of these things, you really, really want one mind controlling it. Yes, but the problem that we have here is there's a, a, a formal system of rank and hierarchy uh, that is underpinned by a series of gargantuan egos mm -hmm. and no clear ability for anyone to establish a legitimate pecking order. Yeah. Well, until Richard turns up. Well, he doesn't even establish a legitimate pecking order. He just says, I'm Richard and I'll fight everyone, basically. And everyone's like, okay, I don't actually want to fight the guy. <laughs> so <laughs> Richard's ego basically presses him into first place. But this offends mm. everyone else in his coalition. Mm. Like he ends up essentially alienating well, them all and causing them all to go home. Well, I mean, uh, part of that is, of course, true. Uh, but he is a king. The only other yeah. king there is is Hello. is Philip. Yeah. Uh, well, no, he wasn't it Leopold well, of Austria or something. The yeah, vassal but, of the Holy, Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah, so he wasn't a king. Sure, he wasn't a king, but he's um, still someone important. Richard yeah. disrespects him. So, if you think of maybe like um, an officer corps in the mess of an officer corps, um, you would have everyone's supposed to be uh, a type of equal. It's supposed yeah. to be like. Um, you know, the common room at university or something. No yeah. one's formally exactly the boss of anyone else. Yeah. But a general is superior to a captain sure. at the same time. So it's a bit like that. So if you're the king, if you're a king, um, you he's definitely above Leopold. I'm not saying uh, he's And not. yet it's also supposed to be, on some level, they're supposed to treat each other with complete respect and on some level be equals, although they're not. It's, you know. He, the, the thing is, it's one thing, Richard being like, I'm a king, therefore I'm above you, which is obviously true. But it's another thing, like, at one point, he rips down one of Leopold's standards. Yeah. And it's like, um, okay, you know, <laughs> maybe you don't want to do that, <laughs> you know, because he's going to take, like, the 5,000 men he's got and go home. Mm. You know, maybe they would have been useful, never mind. You know, it, it's not, like I said, it, it's not that these things aren't true on paper or anything like that. It's just, they're not clever moves to make and they're not mm. germane to controlling and commanding a coalition force mm. that actually doesn't have to be there if it doesn't want to that's the key point it's um it's a coalition effort yeah so that that event where he rips down leopold's flag from the walls of acre after they take acre yeah. um richard would have argued and other people have argued that leopold was in the wrong for doing that in the first place oh, oh. richard wasn't which was doing the correct thing, really. Which but, is why Leopold stayed and was like, good point, Richard, you're right. Yeah, no. It, yeah, he it, went home. It yeah. pissed off Leopold so much that he went home. Yeah. yeah. And in the next episode, yeah. it's Leopold that imprisons yes. Richard on the way home. So it was... Spoiler a, alert again. Politically, it was a really bad move. We said in the really first stupid. one... Churchill said that um, 
uh, Richard was politically a child. Yes, which is and, totally true. Yeah, yeah, and this is one of those really great examples because Leopold's men took this section of the wall or whatever, which is why they put up a standard. Let them have it. You know, yeah. it's not <laughs> like what would be the reason to? Oh no, I'm taking that down. Why we took this? Yeah, well, I'm King Richard. Okay, Richard. No, but there, I mean, it's. <laughs> I think it'd probably be a bit more than that. It's like, well, if you let that slide, it's one of those things. It's like. Uh, there's sort of protocol here. Um, uh, yeah, but this goes both ways because yeah. you know if if that's you, politics for you, isn't it? It's a difficult decision. It is, yeah. Because I mean, there's there's one thing like okay, they've put their banner up on a section of the wall. Okay, well you go put your banner up on the citadel then. You know, so your banner is higher than theirs. You're not taking anything away from them, but you still anyway. You know, the, yeah. the point the point being, there are definitely better ways politically to handle this. And Richard's massive ego uh, gets the better of him on every occasion. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not saying he doesn't even deserve to have this ego, because I think if anyone deserves the ego, it's the guy with the biggest empire and who is personally the mightiest warrior. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But they can always just go home, Richard. Yeah. Um, there's a thing, though, isn't there? It's like a balancing act. It's like uh, if you let him get away with that, some people, you give them an inch and they take a mile. Sure. And it's like, is he going to... If I don't sort of stamp my authority on things, is he going to end up just completely taking the mickey endlessly. Maybe. I'm going to look weak, and that's that's a bad political move as well. Possibly. Um, yeah. Because that, that thing about um, it's a flag, I'll just let him have it, I think, no, it's a big thing. It's like a really big thing. I'm not saying for, it's not uh, a big a, thing. It's like a fairly big deal to them, anyway. But even then, there are ways them. of doing these things. Obviously, Richard didn't mm. approach it in the right way. Mm. You know, like, yeah, okay, right. you know, yeah, so, uh, Leopold, I think that might be a bit of an issue. You are just a duke. You know, yeah. I am a king. Do you not think? Maybe there could have been some, you know, tete-a-tete over it, but instead Richard just tears it down. It's okay. Throws it in the ditch, they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even respectfully. Right, just yeah. like, okay, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so a quick quote here from Winston Churchill on Acre. He says, quote, uh, The glamours of chivalry illume the tale of the Third Crusade. All the chief princes of Europe were now in line around the doomed stronghold of Saladin, Acre, uh, rivalling each other in prowess and jealousy. The sanctity of their calls was no bar to their quarrels and intrigues. King Richard dominated the scene, fighting always in the most dangerous places, striking down the strongest foes. Uh, yeah, Richard fought, fought personally oh, yeah, all, all the time. time. Um, he seemed to love it. Yeah. He negotiated all the time with Saladin, or Saladin's brother, actually, um, an agreement was, in fact, almost reached. To save his garrison, Saladin offered to surrender his Christian captives to pay a large indemnity and to give up the cross, a small fragment of the cross, the cross. The true cross, um, allegedly. And to give up the cross captured by him in Jerusalem, on which Christ, though this after 1,200 years may not be certain, had suffered. <laughs> but not, the, not but certain. The, <laughs> Yeah. It's obviously uh, nonsense, all, re nearly, no, no, all no, relics it's, it's totally true. It's yeah. The legend says it's true. <laughs> but the negotiations <laughs> failed, and Richard, in his fury, massacred in cold blood the 2,000 Saracen hostages he had been delivered as guarantees. Within five weeks of the arrival, he brought the two years' siege to a successful conclusion. So there's a few things there. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of uh, glossing over the difficulty of actually taking Acre. There's obviously like fighting the streets. And Richard is like running down streets, gathering hordes of men and personally charging to the ranks of the Saracens and cutting them up. 
Like it's it's actually wild when you go into the detail of the Siege Maker. It's like you mm. are the king. Like this is so phenomenally dangerous. What are you doing? And yet he yeah. comes through it all unscathed, mm. just covered in other people's blood. And it's just like okay, that's that's wild. I mean, if you're like the Saracens, you flee out of Acre, and it's like what happened. Uh, the King of England was just hacking everyone up in the streets mm. and he was like all on his own. And then a couple of his men arrived and he was like, right, we're going, lads. And he was like, oh my God. Like, you'd be like, what the hell are we dealing with here? <laughs> yeah. That's a maniac. A great knight wearing the livery of the King of England. No, the King of England himself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, he had a giant bloody Dane axe and he was hacking people in half. It's like, oh, okay. There's a thing in history and it's quite rare or maybe it's less rare than you might think, but sometimes a leader just actually gets stuck in themselves. I mean, Alexander and Pyrrhus are great examples. It is quite rare, though. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time, it's not the case. Napoleon, Ridley Scott, Mm -hmm. uh, where it just, you know, most because most men aren't built for that, really, you know? Like Alexander was supposed to have been wounded like 30 times. He was first over a wall a couple of times. Yeah. Um, he lead a charge, be yeah. like the front horse in yeah. a in an arrow-headed cavalry charge. That's Alexander Pyrrhus would have one-on-one combats with people all the time. Yeah, would be involved in actual sword play in First the battles all the time. And yeah, and like all this sort of stuff. But that's actually quite unusual. You know, yeah. Usually it's like how that's phenomenally dangerous, and yeah. you'd have to be some sort of hulking maniac to want to do that, let alone be allowed to do that. Right. And it's more common in the ancient world, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, but even then, still not all that common. No, it's still phenomenally dangerous. I mean, um, okay, you're wearing armour, but still, it's easy to get killed when you're first into a, a group of enemy men. I mean, Christ. And, and Richard was one of those in that mould. Yeah. Where yeah. he was... <laughs> also, I think it's, obviously, I suppose, um, not only are you good at fighting and you love fighting, you actually yeah. genuinely enjoy it. It's a passion. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. It's more than just you enjoy it. You sort of can't stop yourself almost. Yeah. And this is something that comes up over and over with Richard. And have complete confidence in yourself as well. Yeah. That's the other thing. Uh, you know you're good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's another thing. So I, I always think about this, like, okay, say you're pretty good, but surely eventually you're going to come across some other guy who's pretty good as well and perhaps a bit better than you. You know, that's the worry, isn't it? Right. Why wouldn't yeah. you be worried yeah. about it? Yeah. Like, well, look at him. He's a giant warrior. He's obviously like, he's been fighting for 20 years. Well, he might beat me, you know, but Richard just, and like you get the people like Alexander Pyrrhus, Richard, they just never seem to worry about it. I guess they are the guy. <laughs> like, yeah, they are. Richard is the one who knocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, are the guy that you come up against and he's this whole kid, dude, who can't be beat. But, well, uh, I think the psychology of that, like a boxer, or uh, mm. an MMA fighter, your psychology has to be that I'm number one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't really walk in the ring otherwise. We well, can, yeah. but you've 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 nearly already lost. Yeah. The psychology is that uh, I'm the best. Um, very few fighters say have sort of a very nuanced psychology of I know I'm not the best, and I have to be humble, and yeah. that's where my greatness comes from. So there are some people like that. Yeah. But most fighters, especially if they've got an undefeated record, they have to walk in there mm. with like, I cannot be knocked out. I cannot be beaten. Mm. I am the best in the world. That's, that's how they do it. I imagine people like Richard and Pyrrhus had that going on inside their own heads. I, 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 don't, I don't know, though, of course. I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I don't know if they think about it that consciously because I think there's a part of them that's a lot less rational 
than that? Because it feels when you're reading about these people that they're in some sort of Iliad of their own, in their own head. Right, yeah. You know, where it's not, I don't even know if they think they can be beat because they, I think they think it's just not part of the story or something. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, and if I die heroically, then I die heroically. Great, you know. Like, it's not even a problem, you know. So I I don't know if they think, like, like the moderns on that. I really don't. yeah. And that's not the impression I get when I'm reading about them either. Um, well, no, that but that is explicitly what Alexander thought, wasn't it? Well, yeah, he, he was happy um, to die. Basically, like I am in. I'm writing a new Iliad of my own in mm. the East, and I'm, and I'm Achilles. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in that story, yeah, which was kind of true. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, as you say, yeah, at Acre there was all sorts of street fighting, and it was yeah. really very bloody. And uh, in fact, there's lots of whenever you have a long siege, it's very difficult in the pre-modern age not to end up with all sorts of disease going on. Oh, yeah, if you don't get dysentery, you're very lucky. Yeah, um, or you know, worse things like uh, co- cholera, yeah. typhus, typhoid, all sorts of horrors, really. Because there are loads of dead bodies around. Yeah, rotting in the sun, and loads of piss and shit. Yeah. as well yeah <laughs> not to put too fine yeah. a point on it yeah it's, and it's a disgusting thing and they didn't know i mean they had a concept of what was sanitary and what wasn't but they didn't know about the germ theory of disease no. so they you didn't necessarily know for sure that if you drink befouled water that you're gonna get dysentery or something yeah um, so anyway there was some sort of terrible disease miasma going around that even richard got yep and he got very very ill very ill. Um, one account is that like all his hair and nails fell out yeah. at one point. I'm not sure I believe that though, because I, I mean, what the hell would he have had? Yeah, what does that? I don't yeah. know. But, I don't know. But, but also, you don't get any re- uh, comment on his appearance like that later on. Like you know, it's mm. not like Richard's a weird hunchback, bald or anything like that. You know. Well, if you got better, your hair and nails can grow back in like a month or two, can't they? Probably. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Apparently but, he had to be literally carried around on, yeah. on, a, on, a, on a beer or on a, some sort of uh, litter. And guess what he, he did during that time? He was so weak. Yeah. Guess what he did during that time? He was like, carry me out with a crossbow so I can shoot people on the walls. <laughs> yeah. Still carry me around so I can at least give orders and things. Yeah. My uh, Lord, I'm can't, not you, stopping. Just, can't you just get better? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> It reminds me of one story from um, from Operation Market Garden, you know, Bridge Too Far. One colonel, I think, mm. when he, he was a paratrooper, dropped out of an airplane, when he landed, the parachutes weren't that great back then. He still hit the ground quite hard. He, like, snapped his ankle or his knee or something when, when he landed. He just <laughs> ordered one of his men to find a wheelbarrow, <laughs> and a couple of guys were just wheeling him around in a wheelbarrow for the next few days or week or whatever it was, and yeah. he's still just giving orders to everyone. Yeah. It's like, nothing stops. I don't care that I'm <laughs> terribly injured. Um, yeah. So Richard was just, be, just being carried around uh, yeah. for a while, but he didn't die of it. And so after Acre, he knows that, um, you know, he's in a bit of a delicate situation still. Okay, he's won Acre, which is actually quite a big win. Yeah. Uh, the Crusaders had suffered all sorts of losses for a few years here. Yeah. So this is actually a decent win, showing that Saladin isn't perfect and all that sort of thing. But Richard needs a bit of breathing space. So he wants to make peace with Saladin. And he thinks, again, this is a bit of an ego thing, although it may be just perfectly reasonable. He thinks, if I can just speak to Saladin 
if I could uh, have a meeting yeah. with him, I'll be able to persuade him. We'll have some sort. We'll get some sort of connection going. Yeah. And uh, we can strike some sort of deal. And uh, uh, but Saladin doesn't want any of that action. Unfortunately, there was no Donald Trump Kim Jong Un moment. Yeah. With uh, Richard the Lionheart and Saladin. They never met in person. No, they didn't. They didn't. But they knew a lot about each other. Because, mm. of course, why wouldn't you? Fascinated with each other. Yeah. That happens a lot in history, is that uh, great antagonists uh, never meet each other. So, mm. for example, Hitler and Stalin never met. Uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth and Mary Queen of Scots never met, even though most dramas throw in a scene where they do. Yeah. They never met each other. But it's, it's much uh, better storytelling if they do. Yeah. Richard and Saladin yeah. never met. but. Um, yeah, they were fascinated by each yeah, other. You didn't get a didn't Hannibal you? and Scipio moment. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a great moment. Yeah. Uh, but so Saladin sends one of his brothers. Saladin's got a few great brothers that are great sort of generals in their own right. Sends his brother to Richard and they negotiate. Yeah. And Richard, they, they do seem to get on really well with each other. Yeah, actually. Richard's got a great plan here. Uh, Richard does seem to be, if he wanted to turn on the charms, yeah. if he wanted to be charismatic, he certainly could be. But isn't this where he offers his sister to marry yeah. him? Yeah. Which is a brilliant move. <laughs> I mean, that would solve it. No, she's not going to do it. Does she? And she's just like, no, I'm not marrying a Muslim. <laughs> yeah, some random Muslim prince. Yeah, um, no. How about no thanks? Yeah. Yeah. Which no again, deal. like, makes, makes me wonder how much freedom women had. Maybe actually they had more agency than we give them credit for. Well, it depends, isn't it? If you're extremely high ball and you've just got enough force of will, like uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine, mm. um, if you just sort of refuse, <laughs> or it depends how insistent the men are as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, Richard's probably like, look, the lives of tens of thousands of men depend on you marrying the Sultan's mm. brother, so we can have a peace, and so that our, we can you know, go to Jerusalem. And it's just like, no, I'm not marrying a Muslim. Like, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, was, that's that, then. it would require her to be, I don't know if necessarily convert, but probably convert, but at the very least become, uh, you know, live her life by sort mm. of uh, Islamic rules. Which probably weren't that different Catholic rule at the time. Uh, well, I mean, just, women didn't exactly dress sluttily. Uh, yeah, probably a bit more than just what you dress. She'd have to go into... She'd have to do all sorts of things that she didn't want to do. Sure. sure. And she was already betrothed to somebody else, loved somebody else and all that sort mm. of thing. So, um, yeah, that didn't work out. And Saladin wasn't best pleased because Saladin sees this sort of thing going on. He thinks, has my brother been sort of turned by Richard or, or are you making, I never gave you authority to like make deals like that and do things like this. And <laughs> uh, are you going soft on the Crusaders here? What's, what's going on? So, no, it doesn't work anyway. He's just such a charming guy. Work. I don't know. He offered me a sister. I mean, um, you know. Okay, so I want to break the narrative <laughs> here. A, just a quick thing. That's huge, though, right? Like, what, sorry? You're like the sultan's brother and you know this enemy king. Okay, I've got to go treat them. Do you want to marry my sister? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> sure. Like that, you can see how I'd be kind of like surprised and taken aback. You know? Yeah, I can throw him on the pile with my ten other wives. Yeah, yeah, but like, uh, you know, yeah. and this is a huge political move and make him politically a lot more important than he was probably. You know, all the, all this other stuff. Where it's. And you can see why Saladin's like, why are you even countenancing? We're yeah. not doing that. 
That's why Saladin's not best pleased. Yeah, it's of like, course well, not. If anyone's going to marry, if we're going to do anything <laughs> along those lines, surely it's me that. <laughs> what did you, wait, what's going on? Exactly. Uh, She's just like, I'm not doing that. It's like, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> why is this the conversation? And that's the thing. Another part of um, Churchill's like, is a political child. That was never going to happen. You know, it was yeah. never going to happen. She was, you know, surely that was never going to happen. And so, again, just it, I just found that episode really amusing. Just you know, just why are we discussing this? I wouldn't be killing each other. Anyway, so quite soon after Acre, uh, Philip decides he's going to go home. Um, he's taken a few slights from Richard, and Richard is obviously the the top dog. Yeah, uh, Philip doesn't really like that, and no. um, he decides to just go back to France. Just a quick reminder: Philip uh, Augustus is pretty much the polar opposite of Richard. Uh, he's not like him. Um, he doesn't really like him. And I think it's fairly easy to feel overshadowed by Richard in the middle of a crusade. Mm. Like, you know, maybe if you're doing court politicking, then obviously you're like, Richard, you fool. Of course, Aladil is not going to marry your your sister. <laughs> but when it comes to, like, you know, leading armies and storming cities, you're probably like, okay, go on then, Richard. <laughs> you know, it's it's <laughs> it's probably hard to feel like you're not being overshadowed. Yeah, you know when there's someone in the room or in a party or somewhere mm. and they're just sort of... Loud. They're, they're alpha-mailing it. Yeah. Like, but to an, to an obnoxious degree, though. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I did know what you mean. If it's handled right, it's okay. Yeah. And you're happy to just let that happen. Yeah. But some people, especially if you think you should be the alpha in the room, even or even quietly or anything like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, ugh. Like, I don't, I don't want to be near this. Um. You get the feeling that Philip really dislikes Richard just for being Richard at this point. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.